Hi, I'm Robert Krolwich. Radiolab is supported by Casper and their experts who make quality mattresses that cradle your body in all the right places. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash radiolab and using code radiolab at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Robert Krolwich. Radiolab is supported by Audible. As we explore more of how the world is saturated in color, from soft hues to violent stains, check out Brain Myths Exploded, Lessons from Neuroscience, available at Audible. Explore the myriad topics in neuroscience through 24 lectures about myths of the brain. Go to audible.com slash radiolab or text radiolab to 500-500 for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Hey, I'm Becca Bressler. I'm the production manager here at Radiolab, and I'm here to tell you about a new WNYC Studios podcast called Caught. That's C-A-U-G-H-T, Caught. Do you remember when you were a kid or a teenager and you made a bad decision and you said to yourself, if I just get away with it this one time, I'll never do it again? Well, our colleagues at WNYC Studios are launching a new series about kids who aren't so lucky. Caught tells the stories of teenagers who make these thoughtless, impulsive decisions and as a result get sucked into a punitive juvenile justice system that changes their lives. You can find Caught in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check it out and subscribe. Oh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so then I was dismissed. I was only dismissed from the day. I was dismissed from, I'm not even supposed to come back tomorrow. And everybody's so elated and I was kind of mopey. And they said, what's wrong with you? I said, well, I don't know. I like jury duty. Hmm. So you're gone all day tomorrow? No, I'm, I'm not. I'm you're not, I'm around done. tomorrow. I'm around tomorrow. Oh, my God. Okay. So if we want to do this tomorrow, we could, or if we want yeah, to we we'll patch do, things. We, yeah, we could. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. Okay, so, Robert, yes, let me sir? see, where, where do we start? Well, I think we start where we left off, right? Right. So where we left off, we thought we had simply the most fabulous animal of, Color-wise, in, in the world. The champion of rainbows. Oh, champion of rainbows. This is Radio Lab, by the way, Chad, Robert. So uh, seven-ish years ago, we did a show about colors. We asked a very simple question. Who among us earthlings sees the best rainbow? We crowned a champion, and uh, we're going to reevaluate that coronation <laughs> right now, <laughs> as one does as time passes and science advances. So uh, we're going to here's – what, here's what I think we should do. Okay. I think we should play the original segment. Yes. Because it is delightful. You yes. hear the crowning of the champion. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we should reevaluate whether the champion deserves to be crowned. Okay. And uh, the, the early segment, it started with Robert asking a question to a cognitive scientist by the name of Mark Shangizi. Well, here's a question. If a dog and a human – and a crow were to be staring at a rainbow, would they be seeing very different things? Yes. Now, this question that Robert just kind of tossed out during an interview, like about how different creatures would see the rainbow, this ended up taking us down a little wormhole, and we ended up actually getting a choir to help us illustrate uh, what we learned. But just to set a baseline, your normal rainbow goes like this, starting bottom up. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, Roy G. Biff. Roy G. Biff. 
Yeah, the, I don't know why people put the I in there, but that's it. If you didn't have the indigo, you couldn't say it, though. It'd be Roy G. That's why you need the I, I think, yeah. is to say the Roy G. Biv. Yep. That, by the way, is Tom Cronin. Uh, I'm what's called a visual ecologist. Mark suggested we give him a call. He told us that humans see seven colors in the rainbow. In the, in the case of the dog... Very different rainbow. Uh, it's going to start off... Blue. blue. He'll be able to see blue just fine. So it would see a rainbow starting with blue. Same blue we see. And then grading off into green. Same green as us. And then disappearing. Yeah. The rainbow would end there. With a tiny bit of yellow thrown in. That's it? Yeah, so the rainbow would only be about half as thick as ours. Wow. Um, That's so, a sucky rainbow, dog. Yeah. That's why when God promised that he would never deliver another deluge, and he, gave a, he made the promise in a rainbow, the dog's just for totally unimpressed. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it about the dog eye that makes it see this way? It doesn't have red-sensitive photoreceptors, no red-sensitive cones. The weird thing is that the difference between dogs and us, cone-wise, is just one. They have cones tuned to blue and green, so do we, but we have this one extra, red which doesn't really seem like a big difference. I mean, it's just one cone, but... To have three is so much better than two. That's Jay Knight's vision scientist. Because of this kind of multiplicative thing, red can get mixed with blue. Which makes purple. Or red can get mixed with yellow. To make orange. And green can mix with blue. To get teal or turquoise. And that's how we get about 100 different shades of color that we can see. So by adding one photopigment, instead of adding just one more color, you actually add about 98 colors or so. All right, let's move on. So now we have a crow, unless you'd like to change the bird. Well, the crow is not so interesting because it's pretty much like us. So let's take take something like a um, a sparrow. All right. Because sparrows have ultraviolet vision. What do they see? So they see the rainbow starts before our rainbow starts. Where we just see sky, it would see an ultraviolet color. And then it would see the violet, then it would see the blue, and the uh, greens, and the oranges, and and the yellow first, and the orange, and and then the red, and probably it would see further into the red than us, because they have a more red-sensitive red receptor than we have. So it would see a much broader rainbow. It would start earlier, and it would end later. So should we assume that we've now that the sparrow is the champion? That that's the that's that's as high as it gets. If you're talking about vertebrates, no, talking I'm talking about, about anything that has a heart and a mind and a. And a Once you body. leave the vertebrates, then all bets are off. You've got um, many animals have much better color vision than the vertebrates. Do. Oh really? Yeah. Like what? Butterflies are a great example. Butterflies have five or six kinds of re- of color receptors. We only have three. Remember, butterflies see more colors oh. than we do. Yeah. So if a butterfly were looking at a rainbow, <laughs> I never well, thought we'd uh, get know, here. Right, so wh- well, they do, I'm sure. I mean, butterflies are out there when, when uh, the rainbows are out. But we see colors we have no names for between the blues and the greens and the greens and the yellows. Ooh. So it would go from ultraviolet, it would see that. Yep. Then it would see violet. And then blue. And then blue, blue, green. Yep. And green, green, bluey, bluey, or whatever. Right. And then orange and red and all that? Yeah. They have very complicated eyes. Huh. Okay, so just to recap, all right. here's the dog. Here's us, humans. Now the sparrow. A little bit more bass, a little bit more high end, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And finally, the butterfly. 
which is, you know, not so far above the sparrow, but it's got more mids in there. So I'm now thinking butterfly, butterflies get the crown. Yeah, but then you, if you go onto coral reefs, you come across these animals called mantis shrimps. What are they called? Meta? Like mantis, like a praying mantis. Oh, Ooh. mantis shrimp. It, the shrimp catches prey using an arm like a praying mantis has. Oh. Uh, mantis shrimps are, are mostly pretty small, about the size of a finger. Some get to be as big as your forearm. They're uh-huh. big, big oh. animals. I'm actually looking this up right here. <gasps> oh, my God. They're so colorful. No, they are colorful, though. Here, here look at this. Oh, my no, God. They're, they're just like a... It's like they're electric colored. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. like turquoise or something. Iridescent. And their eyes are like little cartoon eyes. They're gigantic. Yeah, they have two really big eyes right on the front. And you said that dogs have two cones. We have three. How much does the butterfly have again? Butterfly has five. Yeah. Depends on the butterfly. Uh, Mantis shrimps have 16. <laughs> 16? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, if you God. have 16... Uh, 16 kinds of receptors. <laughs> what would the rainbow look like to them? I mean, could they even see it? Mantis shrimp would see the rainbow fine because they live in very shallow water, and so the water is pretty clear, almost like air. Huh. They would start the rainbow way, way, way inside where we see violet. They would see an extraordinarily deep ultraviolet. And then they would go on through several kinds of ultraviolet, probably five or six kinds of ultraviolet. <laughs> And then they would get to violet, which which is now they're reaching our colors, and go through violet and violet, blue and blue and blue-green. Where they have those green, green, blue, blue, blues as well? Yep. And then they would go out into the reds. So they would be about, about as red as us when they got to the red end. But only in the reds? Yeah. What a rainbow that must be. Yeah. They have the most complicated visual system of any animals by a factor of two or more. Wait, wait, wait. He said any. Do you mean mean that unequivocally any? Yeah. No other animal that we know of has a visual system within 50% as complicated. All right. Mantis. But, you know, on the other hand, their brains are tiny, so who knows what it turns into. So they may not have the ability to perceive the beauty of the rainbow in the way that... No, I don't, I don't, no, they're, they're, vanish from sort into violence. They're not really into beauty. They go around and, and kill things. That's, I mean, really, that's what they do. That's, that's one reason they're so fascinating. Is how, how, they how, love to go around and kill things. What, what do they fishes, kill? Uh, crabs, other vanish shrimps, shrimps, octopuses. They'll kill octopuses? Yeah, small ones. A good-sized mantis shrimp will, can break the wall of an aquarium. Well, really? Yeah, there's, uh, there's ones in California that can break aquarium walls if they hit it hard. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you have a pugnacious <laughs> Muhammad Ali seagoing <laughs> exactly. animal with incredibly great visual sense. Special thanks to Jim Briggs, our engineer, for the uh, choir session, which was a blast. To Mark Shangizi for setting us off in this direction. To Michael Kirshner and the Young New Yorkers Chorus. And John McClay and the Grace Church Choral Society and those folks from the Collegiate Chorale and the Desaf Choirs who joined us. And to Alex Ambrose of WQXR for getting everybody together. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so here we are back in the present, 2018. That was how we left it. 
seven-ish years ago. And now we take a second, somewhat more sober look at, at this the, animal. Yes. And its glorious achievement. Well, actually, I get to, we get to actually look at it. Like, I, I, yes. I get yes. to, I, 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 in fact, well, you know you, what? You met one. I did. Yes. I met the champ. I met the champ. And we shared a moment uh, that I certainly will never forget. <laughs> That's coming up after the break. This is Amy Lantinga from Boston, Massachusetts. Radiolab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Hi, this is Robert Krulwich. Radiolab is supported by Audible. As we continue to uh, rip the rainbow to pieces in this episode of Colors, check out Brain Myths Exploded, Lessons from Neuroscience, available at Audible. To start building a more accurate understanding of current breakthroughs in neuroscience, you have to start by shattering popular brain myths. Through 24 different lectures, you can explore the myriad topics in neuroscience like memory, dreams, consciousness, and more. The result is an eye-opening adventure into the latest understanding of why the brain works the way it does. Go to audible.com slash radiolab or text radiolab to 500-500 for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Hi, I'm Robert Krulwich. Radiolab is supported by Casper. Do you know that you spend one-third of your life sleeping? With Casper, you can make the most of your sleep on an outrageously comfortable mattress. Casper offers affordable prices, hassle-free returns, free shipping in the United States and Canada. Plus, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free trial. And right now, get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash radiolab and using code radiolab at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. This is Radio Lab. I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krulwich. Okay, so we, we did the thing about the mantis shrimp. Mm-hmm. And um, partially because of us, partially because I think just the world was ready, the mantis shrimp has become a little bit of a celebrity animal. It's become a, quite a oh, popular yeah. little crustacean. It's been crustacean. celebrated in cartoon. It's yes, been it has. celebrated on television. Yes, it has. Had its, had its, it's had its moments. It has had its moment. Well, and deservedly so when you think about what, you know, when you think about what its rods and cones apparently are able to appreciate. Yeah. You know, you just want to close your eyes and imagine whatever it is that animal might be seeing. Which is what we tried to do seven years ago. Uh, but what, as happens, the science keeps going. And uh, one of the things that happened recently in the last few years is that the, the people who study the mantis shrimp, mm. they have released more knowledge about what it might be seeing. And uh, we're going to update you on that, on that right now. Uh, but first, can I just tell you something? Yeah. I actually got to meet a mantis shrimp a couple, just very, very recently. <laughs> in Brooklyn, as I recall. In Coney Island. Yes. Okay. Oh, sure. oh, yeah. I have dreamt of this moment, I must say. So the mantis is in one of these tanks. Yeah, one of these saltwater tanks. Producer Amanda Naranchek and I, we found a fish store in Coney Island. Warmer. So it must be in warmer. Yeah, warmer. That actually had a real live mantis. Oh, hello. Wow. It looks exactly as I imagined it. It's so, wow, they're so cool. It was sort of tucked away in an aquarium in the corner of this sort of dimly lit shop. Uh, the shop was run by this guy. Chris Martin from Creative Accrimination. Hi, Chris. Excellent. And this is your store? Yes. Okay. And how long have you been here? Uh, four years. Four Chris years sells uh, all kinds of fish. Tons of brittle starfish, urchin, different kinds of clownfish. 
We have designer clownfish. Hey, have you ever heard of designer clownfish? Have you heard I of this? I have. Like, apparently these fashion designers are designing new clownfish. We know, so, like, you have a Gucci clownfish or a Louis Vuitton clownfish. Stop. Yeah, definitely. Actually called designer clownfish. Just a little weird fish fact. Anyhow, back to the uh, mantis. It was in the corner of the shop in this aquarium of reinforced glass. We actually got someone from um, Sri Lanka. This mantis trip came from Sri Lanka? Yeah. This is one of the stranger creatures I've ever seen. And have you ever seen one of these things up close? They're very, very stunningly colorful. Oh my god. Oh my god. The color is just, I mean, astounding. Yeah, these are called peacock because they're particularly colorful. So the particular guy that we saw, he was hiding in a tube in the middle of the aquarium. This was a peacock mantis shrimp, as they're called. Mm. So if you can imagine... Like, it's got, it's, they're big, first of all. They're like seven inches or so. So it's a big creature. And uh, if you can imagine the head of a hermit crab painted like a peacock stuck on the bright green slithering body of a miniature dragon. <laughs> That's what it looks like. I mean, they're the weirdest looking things that you've ever seen. God, you can really see its eyes like swiveling in all different directions. And they have these really big googly eyes. Yeah, that's, they have beautiful eyes. Well, we're looking at a peacock mantis shrimp. It's sitting in a, in a uh, lucite tube and it's looking out at the world. It's treating the tube like it's its home burrow, which it would have if it was in the wild. It's basically looking for something to eat. Okay, so the voice you just heard, that's uh, Tom Cronin, our mantis expert from the last mm-hmm. segment. He's your salesperson? No, he's, oh, no. A, he's, oh, a, he's, he's, he's an expert. He's an expert, okay. I mean, he sells science. <laughs> he drove down from Baltimore to meet us. And remember when he was telling us in, in the last segment a while ago that the mantis are these violent little bastards? They love to go around and kill things. Yes. He was not kidding. I just want to like describe this to you before we talk about the vision. All right, we're staring at peacock mantis shrimp huddled in a tube in an aquarium and Chris is about to feed now what kind of what's the poor little blue thing that you're about to put in we're actually going to feed him a damsel fish at a certain point Chris uh, drops in this little blue fish looks a little bit like Dory from that movie so here it goes drops it into the mantis tank oh oh fish is in and now the fish is sensibly hiding in the back fish is hiding behind the tube as the fish should the little Dory fish swim around for like I don't know five minutes trying to find a way out the whole time, the mantis was like icy calm, just chilling in its tube. And then, oh, oh, is it coming out? Is it coming out? I think it's coming out. It launched out of its tube, and then, just whoosh, pow! Like, like, wow, that was just so sudden. You could hear the snap as it hit it. I mean, it made Amanda and I scream. <laughs> we just, it, we, it was shocking. You know, because they have these claws on the front of their body that they use to punch their prey, and you can literally hear the snap from across the room. Wow. And then he, and this was sad, he then took a lap and then came back and, and just, oh, oh, just punched the fish a few more times. Oh, oh wow, that's, that's, that's a hard ending for, that, for the oh, damsel fish. fish. It's been hit three oh, or four wow. times now. This is one of those, like, nature moments where you're sort of amazed, but you also sort of want to cry. But so, so okay, so, so let's talk about his vision. Now he's just, he's back in his hovel and he's just cleaning his eyes now. After it killed the fish, it went back to its tube and started kind of, like, scrubbing its eyeballs with its little brushes. <laughs> so crazy! Well, he's doing his eye thing, which is yes, the important is. thing. Because it knows that it's got the best eyes in the house. He was like, did you see what I did to that fish? <laughs> now check out my eyes. <laughs> and as for what those eyes see, our, I, our notion of that has totally changed over the last few years. So uh, for that, I'm going to bring in another marine biologist that Amanda talked to. Do you mind introducing yourself? Uh, no, to who? 
to me, like, um, my name is <laughs> Professor Marshall and this is what yeah. I do for a living. And you want me to do that now? Now is good. <laughs> now is good. Okay. Yeah. So, hello, my name is Justin Marshall. I'm a, a, a marine biologist and neuroscientist working on the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Just for context, he Justin is the guy who basically put the mantis on the map. Mm-hmm. He um, he was the first guy. His lab was the first lab to to notice that they saw color at all. Oh yeah, that, I mean that was cool. That was um, at the University of Sussex. It's about nineteen ninety five, ninety six. Apparently, uh, he had a colleague from uh, West Africa who was wearing this particular dress. She had this wonderfully colorful traditional dress on. She walks into his lab where he's got all the aquariums and immediately all the mantis shrimp rush to the beginning to the top of the aquarium and they're like, hey! <laughs> she walked in and the shrimps went wild. What does that mean? Uh, they started waving their appendages and they show off all their colors. Now that I know a little bit about mantis shrimps, I know exactly what they were saying to her, which would be entirely inappropriate. Oh, they were, they were turned on as far yeah, as Yeah, they were tell. all aroused. They were saying, hello, colorful thing, what should we do? So Justin was the guy that basically proved... Okay, these animals have color vision. Like they see color, he confirmed that with this experiment with colored containers. With mantis shrimps, you can get them to go and just beat the living daylights out of a a thing that's colorful because they love to smash things. So anyhow, uh, that was all background. Here's the new information. Mm -hmm. Recently, Justin and his lab decided to ask a new question. He decided to say, all right, all of these shrimp, they have so many rods and cones in their eyes. And by the way, he would say there were 12 rods and cones in their eyes, mm-hmm. not 16, okay. which is still four times what we have. Right. So it's a lot. All right. They've got all these rods and cones. How well do they use them? I wonder what that means. How well do they use them? They have them. They must use them for something. Well, it's sort of like if you're a scientist, you can't just assume that they see things the way that we see things. Oh, I mean, you kind of have to make sure. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you know, he, his simple question to start off was, how well do they see different shades of the same color? Huh. It's like the kind of thing that we do at the grocery store all the time. So, you know, if you go pick a banana from a, a store, even if you pick one that's just gone yellow, it's, it's still a little bit green. You're like, is it too green, not yellow enough, too yellow? You, you know, you use your eyes to make the call. Right. You wonder, can the shrimp do that? Can this animal distinguish between this shade of red and that shade of red, this blue and that blue? Can they make those fine distinctions? Well, I assume so. Yeah. Because they got all the rods and cones, right. right? I mean, they wouldn't have all those things in their eyes if they weren't putting them to some extraordinary use. And the obvious use would be more blue or more green. More yellow, yeah, sure. More yellow. Exactly. Yeah. But he wanted to be sure. So what, what you do is you say, all right, mantis shrimp, I'm going to give you food from this yellow thing. So what he did basically is that he would show the shrimp a yellow light, give them some food. Yellow light, food, yellow light, food. They quickly learned that yellow means food. Cool. So then he shows the shrimp a blue light where there is no food, and naturally... It learns to ignore that very quickly because the food's at the yellow, it's not at the blue. Right. Most animals can do this. But then what he did is he sort of mixed it up. He would gradually make the blue side, the non-food side, a little more yellow. Very gradually. He would shift the color. From blue through to blue-green, through to green. Then greeny-yellow, just to see if the shrimp could tell the difference between yellow, which means food and yellow-green, which doesn't mean food. That's what we did, and we expected the mantis shrimp to have far better distinction at that sort of level, and were surprised to find that it was the worst animal on the planet so far tested. No, no. Are you exaggerating? No, not at all. Our champion of the rainbow was the worst creature ever tested. The worst. So, in other words, 
nature gives them a panoply of choice and then they can't tell the difference? Then what's the point of that? that, that <laughs> there's there's a, something wrong with this theory. I know. It's kind of tragic. If I'm Benjamin Moore and I say to you, come to my paint store, I'm going to show you 50 shades of purple and you can only see three, then what are you doing in there? Like, I, I don't know what you're Yeah, doing. they I, seem to have the equipment to see all the purple, all the colors, all the many, many shades. Uh, but so, so they've got these amazing eyes, but they just don't seem to use them the way that we do. I don't understand that. Yeah. Okay. So this is where you need to start thinking about color and what colors are. I mean, according to Justin Marshall, the basic thing to understand is that you don't actually see color with your eyes. I mean, you're taking the light with your eyes, obviously, but then the color is perceived in your brain. And um, they have these little insect brains that don't seem to do color the way that our brains do. The way in which we see color is if I see a thing, let's say somebody wearing a blue sweater walking down the street, you know, a nice looking lady or gentleman wearing a blue thing, and my blue photoreceptor in my eye gets really excited. So your brain's gonna see that and think, blue, that's a blue sweater. Right. Now, if that blue sweater had a little bit of red in it, the red photoreceptor would also buzz, but not as loudly. And it's actually the ratio of those excitations that gives my brain the sensation of color. Your brain will basically say, all right, got a lot of blue, a little bit of red, what could that be? Magenta. That's what you end up seeing. Like, your brain sort of paints the gap. And that's how every animal on the planet sees color, except for mantis shrimps. Its brain doesn't seem that interested (laughs) in painting gaps. So... Back in our segment when we said it sees a full-throated, wide-voiced spectrum of color. Like this ecstatic, glorious vision. The best rainbow view of all creatures on Earth. That's what we said. That's what we said. More, more variety in the rainbow than we can or than anybody can. That was our thought. That was our thought. We might need to amend that. <laughs> I mean, so they still see colors that we don't see. But they might not just be seeing as many colors as we thought. Like maybe their rainbow is more a series of, of rather focused, discrete bands of color with not a lot in between. I am very, very... Well, that's actually extraordinarily puzzling. They're given the equipment that we use to see various shades of color and they don't use it to see shades of color? What do they use it to see... Well, they use it to, uh, I mean, this is all speculative, but, uh, you know, Tom Cronin was telling us in the fish shop that, like, the science seems to be heading towards this idea that they use colors to communicate. And if that's the case, like, they don't need to see all the colors. They just need to see the ones that mean something. At least in the ultraviolet, there's really good evidence now. It's not, it's not published, so I don't want to talk about it too much because it's not my work. But it looks like different parts of the UV have very different meanings. Like one part might mean fear. Don't mm. go there. Another might mean sex. I'd like to get to know more about this. Maybe another part means home. Who knows? It certainly varies species to species. We're talking about a whole range of at least 500 species. So to, to sort of blanket an explanation over that is a bit simple. But what you're saying is that instead of seeing rainbows, they're, he- they're, they're having a conversation with the color. Yeah, maybe. 
They just so this is their vocabulary? That is, they have all these rods and cones so they can talk to the world, not that they can see the beauty of it. And this is complicated, but they have the, they can do polarized light. Oh, yeah. which is we like, can't do that. We can't, which is so hard to explain. But apparently it's thought that some species can flash polarized light at each other as a way of communicating somehow. I'm not even going to try and explain that because I don't get it. They are uh, an unbelievably amazing and different system to any other animal on the planet. So uh, you've got to ask yourself the question, why? And I've been asking myself that question for 30 years, and I guess I'm a failure because I still haven't answered it. So you could call me a failed biologist. I don't think we would do that. I don't think we're going to do that. That seems, not really. Yeah, that seems not really true. If you had to distill the new information that you had, that you have, how would you explain it? Like the, the thing that we know now that we didn't know 10 years ago is this. Um, they're really fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I'm left with is that at the end of the day, I mean, you know, yeah, it has eyes. Uh, we have eyes. We assume that its eyes do for it what our eyes do for us, but uh, apparently not. And I don't think a choir is going to bridge this gap. That's what's called an umwelt. Like, like every animal in the world lives with its own senses in a world that is defined by those senses. And in a way, it's one of those tragic things that as try as you will, you will never know what a bat knows when it echolates. You will never know what a deer when it looks out, because we know that deer don't see orange. That's why all the hunters wear bright orange and yellow. They just don't see that range. Uh-huh. Do they see more of something else? I don't know. Well, how do? What's an umwelt? It's U M W. It's it's a great word. Umwelt. It it's the word that says that you are limited by what you can feel, touch, smell, see. Yeah. No. On some level, I mean, I feel like that's a problem that exists even between people. Of course. You know of course, what I mean? It's yeah. like I have, I, I regularly have moments with my wife where I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's not blue. And she's like, yeah, it's totally blue. I have that too. I have that all the time. I, I feel, sometimes wonder, I, don't have, I have no idea what you're seeing right now. I know. That's the lonely part. The unlonely part is that you can try. Yeah, th- that is, it is, it is really fun to try. So we'll just keep trying. The original Mantis Shrimp episode was produced by Tim Howard and Pat Walters. And updated by our producer, Amanda Aronchek. Very special thanks to Chase Kolpan for recording the choir the second time around, and to Chris Martin from Creative Aquarium Nation, Michael Kirshner, and the Young New Yorkers Chorus. And they have quite a range. I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krolwich. Thanks for listening.
One final note. Uh, after we wrapped up this episode, uh, we learned that one of the members of our shrimp choir, a baritone by the name of Daniel Thompson, was one of the five people who died in the tragic helicopter accident that happened over the East River uh, this past Sunday night. We at Radio Lab were devastated to hear this news, and we're sending our thoughts to his family and to the rest of the choir, and we would like to dedicate this episode to him. Hi, I'm Robert Krolwich. Radio Lab is supported by Casper, and they're experts who make quality mattresses that cradle your body in all the right places. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash radiolab and using code radiolab at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Robert Krolwich. Radio Lab is supported by Audible. As we explore more of how the world is saturated in color, from soft hues to violent stains, check out Brain Myths Exploded, Lessons from Neuroscience, available at Audible. Explore the myriad topics in neuroscience through 24 lectures about myths of the brain. Go to audible.com slash radiolab or text radiolab to 500-500 for a free 30-day trial and a free audio book.